How many of you have seen that movie? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. How many of you have seen the more recent one? Okay, if you like the first one better, raise your hands. If you like the second one better, raise your hands. It's okay. You don't have to be shy about it. But the first one definitely won. <laughs> Just saying. I love that film. I've seen, I've seen both of them. I took my grandkids to see the second one. Uh, and uh, who's the voice in the second one? Well, Will Smith. Anyway, interesting. Uh, we're in this series, A Little Bit of Wisdom, and today is about imagination. It's about dreaming. It's about kind of getting a big picture of life. And it's funny how life will often squeeze the dreams out of us because life happens, and it can sometimes really squeeze the dreams out of us. Recently, uh, some people asked some kids about their dreams and their, their goals. This one person wrote this, I have a dream that one day there would not be killing and war. Also, I dream Justin Bieber will just go away. <laughs> thought that was good. Christmas list, everything. Remember, do you remember when you wanted everything? For, raise your hand if you can remember that. When you really wanted any, everything for Christmas. I mean, you could, you could give your parents a list of 100 things. Now you're just challenged, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> or, or this one, what are three things you want to do in the future? Get a girlfriend, kiss her, rule the world. <laughs> this is our middle school age. <laughs> Get a girlfriend, kiss her, rule the world. <laughs> and then this one, my one wish is for it to rain tacos. <laughs> By the way, a date hint. Men, are you raise your hand if you're a man. It's called Blue Water. Blue Water. They just completed the other location in God's country, Ocean Beach. And uh, it's quite spectacular. Blue Water, I'm just trying to help you guys out. Blue Water. Okay. Anyway, dreams, dreams. How might you and I dream differently if God were to ask us to ask him for anything? If he were to ask you to ask him for anything. In a room this large, there are all kinds of dreams that have gotten squashed. You're in a marriage that is on life support, been on life support for a long time. You've quit asking. You've quit dreaming. Or you have kids, and there are all those challenges with those kids, and you've gotten so to the point where you've stopped asking. You've stopped dreaming about your kids. Maybe they're adults kids, and they're not turning out the way you want. How many of you can relate with that? Not turning out exactly the way you, your dream for them. And so, kind of as life happens, this, this gets squeezed out of us, and our prayer lives reflect it. Uh, in fact, there's a thing that hit Southern California this week, it was very bothersome, could you write this name down? You could write this name down and be praying for this family. It's a quite famous family in Southern California. Wilson is the last name. Wilson, first name Jared, J-A-R-R-I-D. Jared is an incredibly successful young leader in the church context. He's a pastor uh, on staff at Harvest Church. How many of you have ever heard of Lo uh, Greg Laurie? Greg Laurie, Harvest Crusade. He was his uh, young adults pastor. And ha he started actually a nonprofit to help 
deal with depression and so forth, be more public about that and the challenges of that. But uh, this past week, he committed suicide. And uh, uh, Harvest is a huge church. I don't even know how big his college career group is. But let's say a thousand. You know, it's a lot of people. And there are kids everywhere in this church, obviously. And, and so here this has happened. And so this church is now in the wake of this. And, you know, uh, those of you who struggle with depression, you know how this can be in your life and how strong that can be. And, and now the ripple effect of the suicide will go on and on for a long, long time. In, certainly in the family of origins, I, my wife, her father committed suicide a year before I met her. And so I know it, what it's like to live in a family that lives with those ripple effects. It took me forever to kind of figure out, you know, a lot of things about that as I was going along. But, but uh, you know, at some point, Jared quit dreaming, uh, and, and I understand that. But I just want to challenge you. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop hoping. Don't stop having faith. Don't stop having prayer. And your dreams, I'd like you to write down a dream right now on your outline. Just write a dream down. I want you to focus and kind of wrap your mind around the dream, whatever it is. It could be anything, whatever. I, it's not that I don't care, but you know, God sees you. Okay, He sees you. We're going to go into Solomon's story, which is where we're going to be all the way through the series, a little bit of wisdom. And Solomon's story is a messy story. And we're going to look at him. In fact, go with me in, uh, to 1 Kings 3. We're going to be in 1 Kings 3. We're going to read a little bit of it and read it as we go along and unpack this idea of a God who asks you to ask him for anything and, and talk about that. But Solomon is a young leader. He is likely between about 20 and 24 He's now become the king. And he's the son of whom? David. He's the son of David in the, in the, in the, in the account. Now, he's not the, he's not the son. He's not the oldest son. He's not the one that ought to have been king. But God chooses Solomon to be the king for his purposes, as we'll see as we go along. But I just want you to see something right off the bat. Look at verse 1. In verse 1, it tells you that Solomon makes two mistakes right off the bat. In the ancient world, it's a theocracy. It's called a theocracy, where God rules through the king to, or prophets to the Israelites. Okay, That's called a theocracy. What do you and I live in in America? Very good. A democracy. The front left section is the smartest group. A democracy, right? So we no longer, uh, the theocracy ended at the end of the Old Testament, essentially, okay? So theocracy goes away. Uh, uh, in, a, in a church context, it still works, but not as a nation. Anyway, but in the end of the age, in the end times, there will once again be a kind of theocratic rule, a little bit of an improvisation of it. But anyway, in a, in a theocracy, in the ancient world, in the Old Testament, a king was never allowed, or a judge was never allowed to make an alliance with a foreign nation unless God told him so. Such is not the case. Look at verse 1. Uh, Solomon makes an alliance with who? Pharaoh. <laughs> you know, like, how does anybody? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Let's see. Where were the Israelites enslaved for 400 years? Egypt, okay. But for economic and political reasons, he uh, cuts a deal with Pharaoh. What's his second mistake? What's it say? He marries the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, in the Old Testament and New Testament, 
it says the same basic thing. The Israelites in the Old Testament were never to marry somebody who is not of the Israelite faith, Yahwehism, Old Testament faith in God. Because when they do, it tends to train smash their marriage and tends to make a mess of everything. Now write down this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Lest you think this is only an Old Testament issue, it's a New Testament issue. In the Bible, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, hey, y'all, don't ever marry, don't be yoked together is his language with an unbeliever. Okay, with an unbeliever. Now, I know you well enough to know that there are some of you who did exactly that. And it's worked out, at least so far. Okay, listen very carefully. A little bit of wisdom. Remember, Bible, 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 Scripture, 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 the will of God, the Word of God. Just because something, just because of the grace and mercy of God <laughs> in your life, do not normalize that. And if that is you, you got married, you were unequally yoked, uh, most of the time, he came around, just keeping it real, guys. Most of the time, your wife was a Christ follower, messy, dating. You got married. She's a Christ follower, though, and she wants to go to church. She wants to be a part of church. So you came dragging and screaming, kicking and screaming. And now you've begun your relationship with Jesus, and it's great. Again, God cleans up. You write this down. God cleans up. A lot of my messes. But you want to build these values into your kids. People ask me all the time, Pastor Mike, how in the world have you been married for 43 years? Now, usually they're asking me that question because they cannot believe I'm as old as I am. <laughs> Not really. Anyway, uh, sometimes, but whatever. Uh, I say to them, I say, look, there are a lot of answers to that question. But the most important answer is Jesus, period. But for Jesus, but for prayer lives, but for, you know, dreams of God, I wouldn't have a clue. But we were both Christians, and that was a big deal in our lives. We were Christians as adults. So Solomon marries Pharaoh's daughter, makes an alliance with Pharaoh. Now, so he's making messes, he's young, and look at how God works. He brings the wife to the city of David until he had finished building his palace, and Solomon becomes known as a builder. This is sort of a summary statement on his life, okay? He builds the palace, he builds the temple, and he builds the wall around Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. The people, however, and I talked to you this last week, and the people, however, were still offering sacrifices in the high places. Uh, this, this is, a, again, a kind of summary statement about the culture of the Israelite faith. So up until Solomon's rule... They're offering sacrifices on all the high places of all the Canaanites, basically, in the ancient world, which was very complicated because they tended to syncretize faiths of other, like the god Moloch, the god Baal, the god Shemosh. They would integrate those faiths into their faith, so it would become this sort of spiritual gobbledygook. Uh, today it comes down to us in many ways, uh, like a lot of America believes, like, for example, all paths lead to heaven. You can believe whatever you want, 
all paths lead to heaven. Clearly not a biblical idea, but a lot of people believe this in America. In fact, for you to disagree with that, you are seen as what? Yeah, intolerant, mean-spirited, uh, a jerk. I could actually list a bunch of colorful expletives that I won't for the sake of children in the room, but whatever. <laughs> so, so they did the same thing, okay? So they did the same thing. They're worshiping God, but on all the high places, so it's messy. And remember, last week I taught you Solomon's mission in his life, his purpose, is to relocate everything via the temple to Jerusalem, where God's presence would be, where the sacrifices would happen there, and where he's going to bring the Levitical priesthood full-blown in gear. And so the, he's going to create this huge change, but it's still messy, and it's messy for Solomon too in this regard. So notice what he does. He, he, uh, so he's going to build the uh, temple. The people, however, were still sacrificing on the high places because the temple had not yet been built. Solomon, verse 3, showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father, David. Now, you, if you've been here a while, if you're new to Scripture, I, I can't get into the whole story of David, but David's super messy. But notice, again, David is ultimately remembered in Scripture as a man, a person after God's own heart. Do you want to be known at the end of your life as a person who was after God's own heart. Raise your hand if you do. I recognize that some of you don't yet. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know what is, how it is that you're going to be remembered. You don't even know how to make that decision. I'd encourage you to keep coming and listening. Get that straight in your thinking so that you see how you want the story to be told when you're dead. David's messy, but he's known this way. Notice it says, according to the statutes his father David, except that, Solomon, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So there's an except that. So I want you to think of what that is in your life. You all have them. I have them. I follow God, except that. What is that? Except that. I do this, I don't do this. Except that Romans 7 is true in my life. I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. Who will deliver me from this bondage of death? Romans 8, 1, the great relief. What's the except that? I, I still haven't found my place to serve in ministry, for example. Or I still haven't found the way to out myself in my workplace that I'm a Christ follower. Or I still haven't. Whatever. Whatever the except that is. Just you have to know it. We'll talk about that as we go. You have you have to keep identifying that. Then the king, Solomon, went to Gibeon and offered sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand, a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. I always think about, what did that smell like? I mean, I like, how many of you like barbecue? I like barbecue. But I mean, holy cow. Literally. Anyway. At Gibeon, so here he is, at Gibeon the Lord appears, genie-like, genie-like, Aladdin, genie-like. The Lord appears to him in a dream, Solomon, appears to him in a dream and he says, ask me for anything. Ask me for whatever's on your heart. So how might you and I think differently 
if God invited me to ask him for anything, and he wanted to be involved in any decision in my life, whether they were big or little. See, if you believe this, you might start asking God for anything, like the little things in life and the big things in life. Um, my son Ryan, who is on vacation in Italy and Spain, who planned that trip a long time ago, he didn't know that his company would be in a fiscally challenged environment, and he did not know that this past week he'd have to lay off five people. How many of you have ever had to lay somebody off? Raise your hand if you've ever had to lay somebody off. So you guys know what this is like. It's hard to lay people off. You're dealing with them, their family, what, you know, whatever the story is. So he kept asking us to pray for him and, and get, you know, for wisdom on how to lay people off. So Teresa and I have been coaching him all the way through it. And uh, he wanted us to be praying like live in the, because he was doing it on, they live in Texas. So he was doing it on Texas time, even though he's in Italy. So he had to, and he had to do it remotely. That's, that's challenging. Uh, so, but again, ask for whatever you want, the big things and the little things, the, the giant things and the little things in life. Jesus says it this way. He's talking to the disciples. His, his guys, and this is fairly late in the gospel story. And he says, look, you guys, until now, you've not asked me for anything. Now, what exactly he means on that, I, I think we could talk at length about what that means. But he says, until now, you have, haven't asked me for anything. I think maybe they're only maybe focusing on the small things or they're focused on the wrong things. But he has a clarifying clause that defines the ask. God's not a genie. Write that down. He says, until now you have not asked for anything. So he says, anything in my what? What does that mean? That means according to the character of God. This means according to the purposes of God. But Pastor Mike, I want a boat. Now there's nothing necessarily wrong with you having a boat. I, wouldn't, I don't want you to raise your hands, but many of you have boats. That's awesome. I wonder why you haven't asked me if I want to ride, but I'll go ahead and get over it. Um, you know, there's a great spot that you can only get to by boat off of Point Loma to surf. I'm just saying. Anyway, no, okay, look at so David's psalm. I love this psalm. <laughs> I love this psalm. And, and again, God's, God loves boats. He created us. We invented boats. It's cool. Jesus spent a lot of time on boats. Jesus, I'm going to go to the Holy Land in about a month. I'm going to go on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent a lot of time on a boat. What did Peter and his brother Andrew do? Fishermen. What did the sons of thunder do? You know, James and John. They were fishermen. <laughs> Come on, you guys. They were fishermen. They were wealthy. That's what they did for a living. Anyway, David writes, delight yourself in the Lord. Jesus-centered. Our vision, Christ-centered leaders. Develop Christ-centered leaders. Delighting in the Lord, and he'll give you whatever you want. Uh, kind of. What does it mean? What did he mean? It means the same thing. What's going to happen is you're going to start more and more as you follow God and get him at the center of your life. You are going to want more and more to be like Jesus. You're going to want to have his desires. As you follow Jesus, you can kind of measure, in fact, how well you're following him by your desire meter. For example, 
1986. I was in a church in Ocean Beach. I'd been on staff there for six years since I graduated from my undergrad in 1980. I had been in the church from 76 to 86. I was happy. I was content. I love O feet. I lived on Ebers Street, right across from what was then Sea and Shore Market, uh, Sea Trader Liquor. I lived a block from the end of uh, the street where the ocean was. And I, I loved it. I was happy. I was content. Whatever. I was the associate pastor. The church had grown. Many of the people in the church I had led to Christ. It was awesome. I loved it. I led worship there. I led kids ministry. I led discipleship ministry. I led small groups. That's what I did. And the church was cranking. It was fun. It was awesome. And then this guy, this guy's name's Merrill. Merrill came into my life. And Merrill was a part of this little uh, broken little group of 13 people. And Merrill asked me if I'd help him because I'd already started helping churches. And he asked me if I'd help him in their search for a pastor. And I said, of course. So I met with him and I met with their leadership team. And basically in a couple of meetings, they asked me if I would go to them and be their pastor. How many people did I say was in this group? 13, yeah. And so I thought, immediately I thought, well, who's going to pay for my medical insurance? Nobody's going to pay for my medical insurance. How am I going to live? How am I, gonna... I had my daughter, Rain, and my two sons living with us at the time. Now, yes, we lived in a 600-square-foot apartment in OB, but in my world, that was huge. One toilet, one bathroom. But I was happy. I liked it. I really was, even with two women in the house. Whatever. My hair, that's easy. Anyway, so, so, the, so they asked me if I'd come to that group of 13 and be their pastor. I literally chuckled, and I said... <laughs> Come on, dude. You guys can't, af you can't afford anybody for crying out loud. Like, and, and I'm in my grad program. And, and That night, I told my wife this story. She said, huh. I've told you my wife's way godlier than me, right? And she said, huh. I think we ought to pray about it. And I'm like, are you kidding she goes, yeah, you know, I'm almost done with my undergrad. Uh, you know, I can go to work and we can work it out. I said, yeah, but honey, we won't have any medical insurance. She goes, oh, the Lord will work that out. That 13 people in 1986 was the beginning of Newberry. That's you. I didn't want to do it. I didn't. First offering. Was, Merrill can tell the story. I forget the numbers exactly. But the first offering was something like 187 bucks. Guess who gave 110? <laughs> he, it just said, he'll change your desires. He will. He'll change your desires in your marriage. I don't want to be married to her. She's a jerk. <laughs> I've seen it a million times. The miracles that happen on an inside of a man or a woman, when they give their heart to Christ, and they give their marriage to Christ, and they start dreaming. So what are you currently dreaming for? What are your dreams? We all need help with this. Little things and big things. This past week, my wife, she's been there since like a week ago, longer than that. And the kid's plane, by the way, coming back from Italy, got stuck in London, so she's not going to fly home tomorrow. She's going to fly home Tuesday, and I fly to Minneapolis on Tuesday. Awesome. Anyway, she's been babysitting the twin girls. I have twin three-year-old granddaughters. These are them in all their regalia, mini outfits. They love mini. Mini, mini, mini. Mini is like a drug. It's amazing. Anyway, 
So they go to preschool on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So Teresa, Tuesday, got them ready. Holden, who's four, he's in kindergarten already. So he goes to the end of their cul-de-sac and gets on a bus. And the kids think that he's going to work. It's really interesting. Uh, and so he goes off to school. Teresa, you know, makes their lunches. You know, twins is a no joke. <laughs> we have twin 10-year-olds in the back row. Twins are no joke. Like, when you're little, it's amazing. Anyway, so, so she gets the kids in the van, takes them to preschool. Wesley, one, I can't tell which one's which. They're identical. So one of them's Wesley, one of them's Dylan. Wesley's becoming more and more drama queen, like drama, 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 whereas Dylan's more... It's like, preschool? Perfect. You know, Wesley's like, ah, 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 crying. So finally, Teresa extracts her from her in the preschool class, and they, they say, look, you can just go. We got it, we got it. Teresa gets back to the van, realizes she forgot one of their lunch. And then she forgot to spray them with insect repellent. In Austin, Texas, you have to spray yourself with insect repellent every day. How many of you are glad right now you don't live in Austin, Texas? Anyway, every day, so she forgot. She didn't even have it in the van. She calls me, honey, what do I do? Which is funny, she's calling me for wisdom. I mean, that's, that's just hysterical. So I walk her through it, say, honey, you gotta go home, you gotta get the lunch, you gotta get the bug stuff, you gotta come back, I know it's gonna be drama, but you gotta go back in the room, put that stuff on them, because they get these welts from all the insect bites. She's like, okay, so I walk her through it. She does it, you know, Finds, comes back, uh, this wonderful caretaker uh, approaches her, can I help you? She was able to give this woman the lunch <laughs> and the bug spray who went in. Next call she got was Holden, the kindergartner's teacher, saying, our school has lice. <laughs> How many of you have ever de-liced a child? You know, you've done the lice? Okay, all of you guys know. If you don't know, you don't know. I'm just saying. You know, to de-lice a kid, it, especially when they're four, and the comb, and the, oh, this was her week. Oh, and on the way to take the twins to the preschool, I forget which one, one of them, I get bloody noses all the time, one of them got a bloody nose, and she sneezed, so she's in her car seat, and she just sneezed blood all over herself, oh my gosh, she is a saint, and look, when we start walking this way with God, we can see the purposes that he has for us. We can see what he's doing. Solomon needs to see what God's doing through him. You need to see what God's doing through you. And you get to see how your story connects to those who came before you. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. It's really cool the way Solomon, now this is the son of Bathsheba. Look at how he puts it. So God says, ask me for anything. And Solomon says, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. And notice what he says. Because he was faithful. Now, if you've been with us any length of time, you know that his life was super messy. You know the story of Bathsheba. But look at how Solomon records it. He was faithful. That's a great thing. Dads, this is what you want your kids to say about you when you're dead. It wasn't perfect. They know that, by the way. Just thought I'd share that. It wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. He was a man after God's own heart, which I think is as precious that Solomon says it. Uh, he was faithful to you and righteous in heart and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son 
Solomon knows the origins of his conception. You've given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Solomon has this great appreciation of his family of origins. I, and I really believe it's key to his life, both negatively and positively. Like your family of origins issues are super powerful in your life around the purposes of God. How many of you grew up in a Christian family? Okay, so a lot of you, like probably half of you. I didn't. Uh, and so I became the change agent in my family. So when I was in the Army in 1973, I was in Okinawa. It was first time I ever met any Christians. That was the first time I ever heard the gospel. That was the first time I ever thought about becoming a Christ follower. And that's when I became a Christ follower, 1973. I was in the Army at the time. I was like 19. This caused incredible change in my family. I was the first adapter. I was the first one. So the page of my family of origins turned on that moment. In that moment, I became the rebel from my family's perspective. Like Marcus uh, will say to you in a little bit, a lot of parents don't want their kids to go to church. Uh, this is a, a big thing in our culture in Tierra Santa right now. Um, and my parents had a big issue with me, me becoming a Christ follower. Big issues. Anyway, uh, but when my dad was dying, I led him to Christ. When my mom was dying, I led her to Christ. When my grandmother was dying, I led her to Christ. When my uncle, my mother's brother, was dying, I led him to Christ. You want to get me around dying people. But more, more importantly, you need to be around dying people. What is the purpose of your life in your family system? This is the point. Solomon is grabbing hold of this. What is the purpose of you being in your family system? You are called by God to be the catalyst, the leader, the, the Christ-centered leader who changes not only the world but your family system your family of origins. That's why you are born into the family that you're born. And I get it. There's a lot of pain in a lot of our family backgrounds. I get it. Your family is painful. I get it. I'm just saying you have to work through the pain so that that becomes a tool in your tool bag because you'll run into, and God will use you all the time, he'll use you that you work through the pain of your family and was a change agent in your family because that's what they need to hear. That's the perfect tool for them. And you are that tool. You are the one who knows the story. It's your story. It's your God's story. That's the deal. And then you'll embrace humility. Look at the next verse. Look at what Solomon refers to himself as. Look at what he says. He's talking to God. And he says, God, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And he, he's the king. And he says, I'm like a little child. And that's how you are. Always. We're just kids. Some of us are bald. But whatever, we're just kids. Now, humility. I, you might want to take a picture of this. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't think of this till late, and I, I wanted to like list attributes of humble people. And it's not complete, but it's a pretty good list. Uh, like, look at number nine. Asks great questions. This I've learned from Teresa, my wife. She's the greatest question asker I've ever met. You know, she has a graduate degree in clinical Christian counseling. She's a a credentialed life coach, professional coach, so it's part of her training, but she's just naturally good at it. Um, I tend to tell, she tends to ask. I won't ask you to do that. <laughs> I was gonna ask who tends to tell, who tends to ask. Uh, kind and respectful. Oh, uh, has a good self-image, but doesn't need to tell you. <laughs> this is something that get worked out really 
profoundly in middle school. This is why we do the middle, is to help the kids have a good self-image, built around Christ, okay? And listen, this is about self-awareness. Uh, somebody said it this way, if what you don't confess, you can't address. What you don't confess, what you're in denial of, you cannot address it. Now, I'll just say, everybody around you is in the, is in the wake of your lack of self-awareness. Uh, one of the best uh, tools I could give, how many of you are on Right Now Media? You, are, you have Right Now Media? You all can have it. If you go out to the blue tent, we buy it for you. Right Now Media, there's a tremendous leadership asset in this. All of you who lead teams could use this. It's by Patrick Lencioni. How many of you have heard of Patrick Lencioni? Raise your hand. Okay, if you haven't heard of Patrick Lencioni, you need to write that name down. It's felt like, it's phonetically, it's like Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. -I. Uh, he's one of the greatest leaders uh, that there is in the world, one of the greatest communicators on leadership. He has a thing, you can get it in Right Now Media, and you should all have Right Now Media, honestly. You really should. Any, how many of you are parents? Okay, you guys, you have an incredible asset in Right Now Media that's free to you. There's hundreds of wise parenting things on there. Anyway, Lencioni, Lencioni writes about, uh, he calls it hungry, humble, and smart. And by smart, he doesn't mean like intelligent. He means socially skilled, social intelligence and emotional intelligence. Uh, anyways, he talks a lot about this. And you, you must become more and more self-aware. And then recognize that God cares about the we, not just the me. Look at verse 8. Look at how Solomon puts it. He gets that he's been charged with this great nation that are chosen by God that he's going to lead. This is your street. This is your church, in fact. This is what we do. I wanted Marcus, uh, who's our worship pastor and our student pastor, to come up and talk to us about the we as it relates to student ministries. Give Marcus a hand as he comes up here doing a remarkable job with the students, he and Eddie, and, and they try to develop your students in ministry. Yes, yes, it's all about valuing our students and caring. I'm not sure if that mic's on. Yep, it'll be there. There we go. Yep, exactly. Let's give it up for the back of house team. They do an awesome job every week. Come on. Right? Um, so, yeah, it's all about valuing our students and sharing that we actually do value them. And, and I wanted to share a few statistics. Um, if you like statistics, awesome. If you don't, they are important. 32% of the population is Gen Z, which is the next generation coming up. 32% of 32%. America. This is American. 32%. No, this is, is everywhere. Everywhere? This is the world. Really? 32%. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. America's coming up in a second. Okay. In 2020, there'll be 40% of all consumers. Yeah, 2020 I heard a couple is miles. next year. Yeah, in a couple months. $44 billion in buying power just in America. Oh, that's the American. <laughs> yes. Business leaders, business owners, people who work in leadership. Marketing. Yes. You are already leading them. They're already here. But you're choosing if you would like to lead up or down. In the words of Pastor Mike, you decide. That's the power of this next generation that's coming up. And, and a lot of us, you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, millennials, which is the generation before this next generation we're talking about, they often are millennials themselves. If you are over the age of 24 and under the age just shy of 40, you are a millennial. Welcome to the club. Hello. 
Yeah, both of my sons are millennials. Yes. And guess what? All generations have their pluses and the things we could work on as well. Except mine. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what was before the baby boomers, Pastor Mike. Oh! <laughs> the greatest generation. <laughs> so, so everything we do in students flows through the vision of creating Christ or developing Christ-centered leaders who can change their world. We want to do that with students, and we share with students all the time. If you were to ask them, do you want to change your world? Yes, they do. That's why this is one of the most passionate generations about bringing about world change, global change. Uh, I, I can't remember the statistic right off the top of my head, but it's a numerous amount of them that want to be involved in a career path that is all about bringing about change to the world. Yeah. It's not just about making money. It's about bringing change. So if we can get to a place where we share with them, hey, you know what? You can do that. And we can do it at places like life groups. Just like adults, students need community. A place where, just like we talked last Wednesday, we said a place where you can finally be somewhere and <sighs> let out that deep breath and say, this is me. Adults, some of us still struggle with that. Say, this is me. To find a student that can partner with another student or a caring adult and say, this is me. And I'm broken, but I need Jesus. That's one of the ways we do it. We also do it through the middle, which is happening right now. And really cool news, we broke 50 today. Whoa. Come on. Give right? it up. That's right. 50 middle schoolers. Yes. Woo. Right. So th little things like that. And they hear this message. They hear it in a way that is able to impact them and be applied to their own lives. Um, imagine asking a middle schooler, if you can ask God for anything, it'll give it to you. Of course, you know, um, and adults, too. We do the same thing. More money. Why? What will you do with it? Well, we'll look at if it. If I get enough, I'll tie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we do it through the middle. We do it through campus clubs, and Pastor Mike already alluded a little bit to it. Um, we have a rising number of students who cannot go to church, not because they're unable, but because their parents say, you cannot go to church. We don't want that influence on you. So we go to these campus clubs. We bring pizza, and thank you, because... Part of what you guys give is allowing us to bring pizza and Jesus onto a public school campus. So thank you. Thank you. Thank Woo! you. Yes, come on. We need more pizza. <laughs> so we go to these campus clubs and imagine what it would look like. Truly, it nearly breaks my heart walking up and these students are like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. I, I can't go to church, but you're my pastors. That's their church. So a little church in a school happening during lunch or after school or before school where students can be themselves and find out about a God who loves them just the way they are but wants more for their lives. And we have these huge events that we do and, and we have movements and vibe nights where students just get to hang out and be with other students just like themselves um, from different churches. It's not just one church. It is church, capital C, across this, this city that we're able to connect with. And if the question was asked of these students, if God could give them anything, I believe there's two things. One, they would ask for mentors. Any people that will walk beside them, that have walked through some of the most difficult times and that can, that can spare them from entering those same mistakes. If you've, if you've paid attention to what's happening in the news, we've seen suicide has just been wrecking our nation, our people. And what is at the same time heartbreaking but also comforting is this generation is more willing to talk about it than any other generation. But they need people to talk to. So they need mentors. 
and they need people that can walk up to them and say, hey, guess what? I value you, and you're going to be a difference maker. You're going to be able to change the world. We have some of our students right here. You guys will be able to change the world. So if you believe in them, I want to encourage you guys to take your next step and say, you know what? Maybe I can help out at one of your events. I can't be there every Sunday, but I can't be there every Wednesday. Every once in a while, I'll be able to be there. Maybe you can pray for us. Maybe you financially are able to do something that can help with pizza or, <laughs> or help with, we send students on these life-changing events and they meet Jesus for the first time, whatever it is. I want to encourage you guys to say yes, because I believe there's students that are waiting for someone like you before they can walk into a church. And so you could be the reason that someone is able to meet Jesus. Good. Give him a hand. And then try to help him. Some of you, God was speaking to you right there. Eh, probably try to mentor those kids. <laughs> but I don't want to. God will give you the desires of your heart. He'll change you from the inside. And you will start to see that wisdom that's what the middle schoolers need. That's what the high schoolers need. That's what you need. But you have a lot of wisdom in you. You have a lot of God's wisdom in you. And you're a steward of it. As soon as God shows you something, you are charged then with the responsibility of stewarding it, which means you have to constantly give it away. I want to give you a website. Parents, grandparents, you should take a picture of this. Last weekend, I was in the parenting conference, and I asked the question in the room, Hey, do any of you, because I have teenagers who are grandkids, I'm like, do any of you know a place where I could go and get games and movies and TV shows vetted by, by somebody who would tell me, you know, kind of rate the program, rate the game, and then give me questions to ask my 15-year-old in this case about what they're doing on their screens that would help me kind of broker the conversation with, in this case, Riley. And one of the parents said, oh, commonsensemedia.org. How many of you have heard of this? Hardly any of you. you. If you're a parent, you're dumber than dirt if you don't take down this website. I'm just saying. I'll just call you out. <laughs> dumber than dirt. Like, this is an incredible free resource. And if you think you could do the heavy lifting on their screen time, we need to talk. You can't. There's no way you're going to keep up with them. They're way faster than you. They're way faster. And in my case, I just needed help. I just don't know what I'm doing. And it was great. I actually used it in my conversation the next day with Riley, and it was really transformational. And, and look, Solomon gets it. He says, God, give me wisdom so that I can lead. This is what you and I need. We need to have wisdom so that we can lead, so that we can change our world. But you need the wisdom of God in your marriage and everything. And, and so Solomon says, I want wisdom. That's all I want. Give me wisdom. Let's look at the rest of the story. Look at what happens. So God says this, Solomon, I'm pleased with you. So he says to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth, again, is God not into uh, blessing us financially? No. Read on. Read your Bible. You asked for life, long life, or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies. But for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you ask. And I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, 
so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings. And then comes the conditional clause. You always got to look for the conditional clause. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and the commands that I give you absolutely perfectly without flaw. No. Read your Bible. I could say anything to you right now, and if you're not reading your Bible, you're just going, okay. <laughs> Look what it says. If you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as who? David. David. <laughs> I mean, frankly, that's not a really high bar. <laughs> but it's an honest bar. It's an authentic bar. If you follow my ways as your dad did, then I'm going to give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and it was a dream. Again, it's about, it's about what God's for you, not against you. He's, and, and when you value what God values, everything shifts. Everything shifts. It's weird. How many of you think God's, like, super smart? He's super smart, right? Like the church that I was in from 76 to 86. Who would have known? So I left. Over the years, church goes through hard times. It died. It was like eight people left. No leader, no leadership quotient in the group. They gave themselves to us as a church. That's not what we call our OB campus. Like 30 years later, they gave themselves to us. Now, we did spend uh, like about $1.5 million remodeling that facility. Now, those of you who weren't here didn't give anything to it. I did. Those of us who are here did it. Guess what today is? Today's the five-year anniversary of them becoming a church. I'm going to their party. They're throwing a party tonight at 5. After team night, I'm going to their party. Yeah, give it up. It's amazing part of our story. This is what God's trying to do is help us to see the stories, the possibilities. Because the same wisdom that God gives Solomon, he will give you and I. Jesus' brother James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives how? Generously. And then I love the next little line. What's it say? Without finding fault. Because see you in your voice, in your head, your crazy voice. You're crazy, cray-cray. You know, you're cray-cray in your head. You go, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't have done this. I should have done this. Blah, blah, blah. I should have, could have, would have. And then you stop dreaming. This is what happens in life. You stop dreaming because you failed. Deal with it. Get through it. Of course you failed. Everybody has. Welcome to a humanity. But he'll give it to you without finding fault. So if you, like in your mind right now, like you think of an area where you really need like extreme wisdom, God's wisdom in your life for an area, like a thing, a specific category, stand up. Stand up right now. Really? You want me to just stand up? Yeah, I really do. Just be okay. Safe in the room. Okay. Now, all of you, Stand up with me now. All of you stand up with me now. 
And will you commit to praying daily for wisdom for 30 days? Raise your hand if you will make that decision. You choose. You get to choose. I'm going to commit to praying daily for wisdom. In 30 days, you'll make a habit. Okay, you can put your hands down. You'll make a habit, okay? And God's going to do amazing things in you. Now, his wisdom will come to you horizontally and vertically, okay? It'll come to you through other godly people, and it'll come from the word of God, okay? And, you know, gifts of the spirit can function here too, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophetic, prophetic things, so forth. I'm just saying he's going to do it. Why? Because it is a promise of Scripture. <laughs> if you lack wisdom, ask for it. In Jesus' name, right? Right? The whole thing. And then he's going to give it to you generously without finding fault. He only wants faith. So you choose, you know, to be faith-centered, not fault-centered, okay? So bow your heads with me. I'm going to close us in prayer. I'm going to just pray for this for us. So, Lord, many of us stood needing, a, you know, extreme wisdom in a specific category. And uh, whether we're in the room or outside or online, Lord, we, we just know that we need it. And you spoke it into us, Lord. That was your voice. We're learning to recognize your voice, Lord. And that was your voice prompting us on the inside. So help us to focus in on that area and your wisdom. And we don't know how you're going to do it, but we trust you to do it. Everybody repeat this. I trust you to do it. Lord, we know you're faithful to your word and that you'll do what we ask in Jesus' name, in your name. We know Jesus taught, taught it to us. We learned it today if we've never heard it before. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you receive that your joy may be full. So I pray, God, as you give wisdom, as we walk in faith, that our joy will grow like a tree planted by the river. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a hand.